good morning. After what seems like months, because it is, has been, we actually get to the end of this whole section of Jesus and the Feast of Tabernacles. It starts way back in chapter 7. So let's open up to John chapter 10. We're going to look at the first 21 verses from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our good shepherd that you shepherd us through the difficulties we face in this life and you shepherd us through the blessings and joys that we face in this life. Thank you, Father, that you have loved us enough to send Jesus as our shepherd. And thank you that you charged him with laying down his life so that we may have eternal life. And thank you that you charged him with the authority to do this and to give him life new so that we could have life new and lord i pray that as we walk through these verses in the next several minutes that you would shepherd all of us in understanding your word and receiving it for the message and the 
truth that we need to hear this morning, that you desire to feed us. And I pray especially, Father, that you would shepherd me so that none of the words coming out of my mouth would be my own, but that every word I speak would be from you for your flock. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see this motif of shepherd reappearing all throughout scriptures. And I know that's a big word that a lot of people use, and motifs just simply means a recurring subject, theme, or idea. That's all a motif is. And this idea of shepherd, and specifically God as shepherd for his people, starts way back in the Old Testament, even in the book of, uh, well, not in the book of Exodus, but yeah, even in the book of Exodus with Moses shepherding sheep. While it doesn't explicitly state that Moses is now being chosen as a shepherd of God's people, the implication is there by the role of his shepherding and then becoming who he becomes by God's command. And of course, God himself is just shepherding the people of Israel all along as the fire in the wilderness and the fire by night and the dark cloud during the day, all of those are his presence being their shepherd. He literally leads them throughout the wilderness in that form of the cloud and the pillar of fire. Just like a shepherd would lead them through the wilderness. He's doing the exact same thing with his people then. And so throughout all of the Old Testament, we see it. And we'll look at some of those in a little bit. So let's just kind of walk through these first six verses here with robbers, thieves, and shepherds. Sounds almost like the title of a book, doesn't it? Robbers, thieves, and shepherds. That's got to be somebody's title somewhere. But why he calls these robbers and thieves? Well, I mean, robbers and thieves are technically different characters. Just like today, though, we use them interchangeably to describe someone who steals. Typically, the thief would break into a home or a sheepfold or a pen to steal the sheep, but while the robbers would just lay in wait along the highway until the shepherd passes along and then steal the sheep in that moment. Irregardless of whether they broke into a sheep pen or just laid behind a rock waiting for him to come by, they both stole sheep. They're sheep stealers. Probably the thing that we think of more often, especially being here in the Western U.S., is horse thieves, right? These were sheep thieves. So what does Jesus mean by thieves and robbers in this parable? I mean, we have to recognize this is a parable, okay? Even though it doesn't necessarily fit the same form and shape that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke for parables, it still is one nonetheless. And what does Jesus mean by thieves and robbers here in this parable? Well, Jesus is just referring to those people who have no right to his own people, but they still try to claim them as theirs. In essence, Jesus is referring to the evil one and his false shepherds seeking to steal God's people from him. Many of us have known that experience. A servant of their father, the devil, seeking to steal and take away our joy in Christ, but also seeking to take us away from him in different forms and fashions that that occurs. We understand that idea 
of someone who wants to steal us away from our Savior. And we have to recognize that's not our Father's voice, so we don't listen. Jesus talks about shepherds don't need to climb over the wall. They enter through the door. I find that to be a very definitive sign as to whether someone's a thief or a genuine shepherd is how are they getting into the building. If they're they're coming through a window without good reason, they're probably not really supposed to be here. But then Jesus says this fascinating thing about the gatekeeper recognizes their voice and opens it to them. Wow. I don't know about you, but I read that immediately raises the question. Okay, Jesus is the door and he's the shepherd. So who's the gatekeeper? Who is that? Well, there's, well, I say there's only, but of course, like everything else, there's 100,000 people who think 100,000 things. But the only answer that really fits and makes sense, knowing our Father in heaven and knowing Jesus, our Savior, and is that the gatekeeper is God himself. That our Father in heaven is the one who decides when the gate is open and closed, and he responds to the voice of his son so that his children can come in and out. And so the gatekeeper recognizes the voice of Jesus and opens it, and then we respond to his voice. We hear him and we follow him. In that day, the you know, most of us don't really have a lot of experience with sheep. I grew up with cows, had a couple of experiences with horses, had some dogs, but I've never had sheeps, sheep or goats. Never had sheeps either. So I mean like this idea of what sheep do and shepherds is kind of like not really something I have first-hand experience with, like other animals. And so in in part, this shepherd analogy and shepherd parable is a little more challenging to grasp. But we understand important aspects of it nonetheless. I mean, in that day, the nature of sheep responding to their shepherd's voice was very well known. Everybody understood in that day that when a shepherd spoke, the sheep of his fold recognized his voice and responded. So much so that at times, for various reasons, multiple shepherds would combine their flocks into a single sheep pen for the night to give, for whatever different reasons, they would all be be there together. And the next morning, all they would have to do was each shepherd would just speak and say the command and the, his sheep would hear his voice and they would separate out from the ones they were mixed in with and follow him out down the road. The other guy would give his voice command and his sheep would come out and follow him and go down the other side of the road. That's not that hard to grasp. I don't know about you, but I find myself listening to multiple voices each day, trying to decide which one to listen to. I mean... Should it really be that hard to hear our Jesus's voice and to recognize it? In one sense, no, 
but in another sense, yes. There's a reason that these are multiple voices competing for my attention. There are actual false shepherds trying to draw me away from my Savior. Now, of course, I don't mean that somehow he's drawn, they would try to draw me away to lose my salvation in Jesus. But they just need to keep me occupied and not doing what my Father has called me to go do. We all understand that. And in time, we all understand how to hear his voice and to respond to him. Then we look at these next verses where Jesus becomes explicit with what he's trying to allude with in 7 through 13. Jesus now makes plain what he's been alluding to that he is the doorway and his sheep enter and exit through him. So at this point, we can see we are the sheep. We can see that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is also the door. But what does it mean for us to enter and exit through him? Where are we going when he takes us out of the sheepfold and or the pen and brings us back in? Where did we come from? Well, like all parables, you don't want to press the issue too much. The deeper you try to make it a try to make something out of everything, the more you make everything into nothing. But it seems reasonable to ask this question about where are we going and what does it mean to enter an exit? I, my answer to that question is that to enter and exit through him is to enter into rest and ultimately the joys of heaven. Enter into our rest with him, not just our, sometimes I, it literally is our physical rest. We have this whirlwind slinging around us and we finally come to this place of similar to what Peter says in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, Lord, save me. And he does. And suddenly the storm calms and we relax and we enter into that rest from this storm that we've been in. Sometimes the entering into his rest is, it's, it's a peacefulness despite the physical chaos going on around us. And he gives both. He gives all. Because I, when I read what our Savior does, and when I read when our Father tells to us, they aren't interested in just this body being saved. They want the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul to be saved. And that Jesus, our Redeemer, is redeeming all of us, our whole personhood, heart, mind, body, and soul. And that happens, in part at least, by entering into his rest. In all the different ways that that means. And then the joys of knowing him and walking with him. I mean, he's the only way to gain all that the Father has for us. So where are we going? Well, Jesus leads us out to green pastures, the word says. And the places where we take, and, and, and the green pastures have to represent the places where we take nourishment and sustenance for our lives and our souls. 
That's the reason for leading sheep out into a green pasture so that they can eat and be nourished. And he leads us to these green pastures so that we can be nourished. And then he leads us to rivers of living water so that our thirst is quenched and we can have eternal life. Where are you getting your nourishment these days? Is your pasture green or is it kind of brown? If, if if it's not green, why? Sometimes I have to admit that my pasture is brown because I didn't listen and I didn't follow. And I ended up in brown grass instead of green grass. Of course, I don't really like grass, so that's okay. And why all this shepherd, thieves, robbers, and wolves imagery? Why all that? Well, robbers, thieves, and wolves come with the idea of shepherding. But why even bring up the subject of shepherds? I mean, they're standing in the middle of Jerusalem on a paved street. They're not even close to anything shepherding-like where they're standing. And why now? Well, first off, Jesus is drawing a stark contrast between himself and the Jewish leaders, those who are false shepherds, thieves, and robbers. They're stinking sheep thieves wearing robes. And he's doing it now because they've showed their true colors in how they've treated the man born blind. And exposing of themselves in this very feast where shepherds of Israel play such a prominent idea, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is doing it now because this very subject is in the very festival itself. Not as prominent as the rituals of the water and the light. But you can't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the remembrance of God leading his people through the wilderness wanderings without also recognizing and seeing and commemorating and celebrating his shepherding of his people. So how is Jesus a good shepherd and why are they bad? Well, Isaiah chapter 40 Verses 9 through 18 shows us. In fact, notice how God shepherds his people and who he is in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who made God understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? This is our shepherd. He weighs the hills and the mountains in a scale that he holds in his hands. The fullness of all the oceans of the earth, he's measured out in just the hollow of his palm like that. He can cup it up like that and hold all the oceans. This is our shepherd. I think we're in pretty safe hands. I think we're okay. But then come Wednesday, I'm just not so sure he's going to take care of me. I mean, is he really going to lead me to a green pasture this morning? We really are like the scripture says, sheep who've gone astray. Well, at least I am. I don't know about you. Well, I know about some of you. But... And look, as amazing as this is of who he is, and this is our shepherd, this, this guy wants to be our shepherd? This guy is actually gathering us like lambs in his arms and carrying us in his bosom? And gently leading us? Are you kidding me? The guy who thinks Lebanon won't suffice as fuel for a burnt offering is going to be this gentle. What kind of God is this? An amazingly stunning God. Then we have what Ezekiel chapter 34 tells us. I've, previous weeks I've read and emphasized Ezekiel 34 for the bad shepherds. But now listen to this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Oh, by the way, when you hear God repeating himself, it says like I, even I, or I, I. That's like you really better pay attention. This is like when mama uses your full name, you know, whatever's coming next, you don't want to miss a syllable of it. Same thing here. What's coming next after the I, I, you don't want to miss a syllable of it because bad things will happen to you if you don't pay attention. I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. 
as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Huh, I wonder what day that would be. Like maybe the crucifixion? Pretty dark, pretty cloudy. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. And I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I don't know about this, but you know, verse 16 is something that I hang on to. Our Father will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Any of you ever fit into any of those adjectives? <laughs> yes, all the time. And I will feed them. That's what he says. He will feed us. And then there's Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. This is why the Pharisees were bad shepherds. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. And behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to the fold, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. They shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Part of Jesus' shepherding us is to give us his righteousness. I don't need my own. I don't need to fabricate it, come up with it, make mine good enough. I just need to embrace Jesus' righteousness and all that comes with it. And so do you. And then... Lastly, right, 
Everything I've described is metaphorical for this life. But then comes the good stuff, brothers and sisters. Then, lastly, we have to, what we have to look forward to in Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. Oh, well, now I've actually got to turn there because I copied the wrong piece into my notes. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them into springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what we have to look forward to with our shepherd. Mm. But there is this one little piece kind of in the middle here of all this. Verses 14 through 16. Jesus knows his and his know him now here it's important to recognize that this knowing this knowing here is being talked about is more than just recognition and following yeah i know that's steve's voice out there in the parking lot we're talking no we're this is more than that a lot more than that this is the covenantal knowing and intimacy deeper a deeper and richer than just knowing who someone is. It even alludes to the deepest intimacy a, a person can have, like the intimacy of a husband and wife, an intimacy that is emotional and relational. I'm going to say something that some of you aren't going to like. You're supposed to feel your shepherd and like it. Now, I don't mean that like take your medicine and like it. I mean, you're supposed to receive his love and enjoy it. You're supposed to enjoy this covenantal intimacy that he gives us and lavishes on us to the point that we're just overwhelmed by it and can't take any more. So then he needs to grow us and expand us to where we can handle a little more. Jesus knows us with this kind of intimacy. Before we even know who he exists, before we even know he exists, this is just stunning. I just, you got to be kidding me. He knows me with this kind of intimacy before I even knew he existed? Yes. He knew me with this kind of intimacy in my mother's womb just like he knows you with that kind of intimacy in your mother's womb. 
And isn't it what we all really want? We just want to be known and to know. To be knowing him and to be known by him. So often our human relationships are built on that same idea. I just want you to know who I really am. And I just want to know who you really are. Well, usually we want to know who somebody really is until sometimes we find out and then we wish we didn't know. And The good news for all of us is that Jesus doesn't just have Jewish sheep. Hallelujah, praise God. We the Gentiles are made part of the one flock under one single shepherd. And this wasn't just Jesus's idea that he came up with standing on that street corner in Jerusalem outside the temple gate. No, he proclaimed it before the temple was ever destroyed and rebuilt. From Isaiah chapter 56, verses six and seven. And the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these people I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples." Yeah. 800 years before Jesus stood on that street corner, the Spirit witnessed and inspired the prophet Isaiah to say those words. And oh, by the way, not just a central, not in Isaiah's, okay, so when we think Isaiah wrote these words, there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles because the Gentiles were coming into and invading the country. What are you talking about, these people? They're the ones trying to kill us. They're the ones trying to rob us all of our cattle and steal all of our wheat. What do you mean you're going to let them come into the temple and enjoy your presence? Well, he didn't really mean those guys trying to steal their sheep and their cattle. He didn't mean exactly those guys. He meant us. Those of us who would see him for his glorious, beautiful name and want to be like him and want to have him and to embrace him. And then he just, he, he does all this and it's all possible because he lays down his life willingly. He willingly lays down his life on the cross, shedding his blood so that we can be cleansed of our sins and made right with him and know him with this kind of deep intimacy. And all that's required of us is to confess his name as Lord and Savior and to believe and have faith in his work on the cross and nothing else, his blood and nothing else, Jesus's blood and righteousness and nothing else else that's just shocking and stunning 
his blood and his righteousness and nothing else. And just believing that you did it to save me from myself is all that. That's all you got. to. That's it. But there's something even more shocking and stunning than that. He is in complete control of his destiny. He says that he decides. Jesus himself says he decides when and where he lays down his life. And then he even gets more stunning and shocking by saying he decides when he takes it back up. Like what? You can wait. Okay, I kind of get that you're in control and you decide when you lay down your life, but what do you mean take it back up? When you're dead, you don't take it back up. You can't take up your life when you're dead. You're dead. When you're dead, you're dead. There's no, like, getting up and taking it back up. What is that? What are you talking about? You have the authority to lay down your life and to take it back up. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? You have the authority to do all this. Yes, he does. The crucifixion proves it, that he had the authority and he chose when he laid down his life. And the resurrection shows that he had the authority and he decided when to take it back up. We really shouldn't be surprised that he can lay down his life and take it back up when he can hold the oceans in the palm of his hand when he can weigh the mountains in a scale i guess it's pretty easy to pick yourself back up out of the grave and stand up and he has the authority to do this and this is our shepherd this is our shepherd but like everything that comes to a close with Jesus in this gospel of John. Something great always creates division and confusion. Once again, we see that Jesus' words leads to division among the people. Those wanting to ignore the plain sense reality of what Jesus has done is saying and instead insult and repudiate him to justify their rejection. Right, you see how this works? Okay, I ain't listening to that stinking crazy Jew because he's stinking and crazy. Well, wait, what? They insult him and they repudiate him so that they have a justification to not believe in him. Yet there's just this one little problem. He just, I, I understand he's kind of out there with some of the things he's saying, but you know, there's just this, it's just this one thing. It's, it's not that big. But there is just this one thing. See, we find everybody who says, everybody who's doing this finds themselves on the wrong side of Scripture. You see, they even acknowledge it. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Psalm 146, 7 and 8. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Then there's this little incident in southern Arabia 
around this place called Mount Sinai where Moses and God meet around this bush that's kind of burning but not burning? Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? And who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? What are you going to do with this blind man who can see? If you say a demon done it, you got a problem. Because every piece of scripture says they can't and only God himself can. So now what? Well, logic and wisdom would say this Jesus guy is God and we should believe him. Maybe that's what we should do. But logic and reason has nothing to do with it, does it? Absolutely nothing. Because our emotional rejection and repudiation is just that, emotional. There's no logic to it. Many of you, and I was saved at a very young age. I was fortunate and blessed that I came to know Jesus as my Savior as an eight or nine-year-old kid. Having grown up in church, in a good church, not perfect, but good. The pastor faithfully preached the word and loved his people. And I grew up in that and came to faith the Lord at an early age. But, but some of you didn't come to faith at an early age. You came to faith in Christ at a much later age and you kind of know what that repudiating and insulting Jesus is like because you did it. For a while. There was nothing logical about it. Just like there's nothing today. It is purely the emotion of hate or love that draws us in or out. I either stick my fingers in my ears and won't hear his voice because I don't want to or I pull them out and I listen because I want to. And that's where we all are. You're either going to listen or you're not. Listen. Verse 21 brings this entire Feast of Tabernacles saga to an end. As I said several weeks ago, everything that happens between chapter 7, verse 37, and this moment, 1021, takes place within a 24-hour period. Everything that you read in those three chapters occurs in 24 hours. And the final word on the Feast of Tabernacles, the place where they celebrate the wandering in the wilderness and God's shepherding of them, comes right out of the beginning of that with Moses and the burning bush in Exodus chapter 4. Is it not I, the Lord, who causes and makes man to see or be blind? And Jesus opens the blind man's eyes right there at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the final word, 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That question is still hanging in the air 2,000 years later. It is hanging in the air right this very second. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Is he a demon-possessed fool? Or is he God? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us this much. And Father, I pray that you would draw us into you deeper, wider, and higher into the richness and fullness of your intimacy knowing you to as much as I possibly can and knowing me in all of the fullness that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.